welcome to TLDR for Parents, a place for busy parents who want to be the best they can be. I'm Suzanne McCauley, parent, educator, consultant, and reader of all things parenting. Welcome back, episode 12. Say hi to the people, Megan. Hello, everyone. Okay, so we are looking at the book, The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. This is our second episode on this book. This book is so full of good stuff that we're going to go through it a little slower. So you'll see a few extra episodes on this book because I'm trying to keep the episodes a little bit shorter so that they are conducive to a busy parent's life. But also there's a lot of stuff in here that I don't want you to miss. So I'm going to just take this one a little bit slower. So this chapter was on gender and emotion. I really struggle with sweeping generalizations about genders. So I want to say that first. I take all of this with a grain of salt. And she even addresses this, especially with how Gen Z is looking at gender and how gender is emerging now. We just have to be really careful with sweeping generalizations about gender. She starts by talking about boys and she takes seriously the role that gaming sometimes plays in their emotional life. So... She says sometimes when they're faced with uneasy emotions, they use gaming as a distraction. And I've seen that in my Absolutely. house. Me too. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting to see her call that out and that it's actually a common thing. So she said in her experience, when it comes to managing emotional distress, boys turn to distractions while girls turn to discussions. Mm. And I've seen that pattern a lot too, working with teenagers in general. Yeah. You just see, you do see that a lot. Girls will take a lot of consensus. They'll talk to a bunch of different people yep. about their situations to figure out how they want to feel about it and what the you know response best is. yeah what the best yep. response is and all that stuff. So um, I just thought that was such a succinct way to say it. Often in emotional distress, boys turn to distraction while girls turn to discussion. So then she asks rhetorically, "Do such broad gender claims really hold up?" And then she answers her own question by saying, "No," and also yes. <laughs> so. She says, no, four ways they don't hold up. Number one, males and females are more alike than they are different. She talks about like um, physiologically and all of it. We're more alike than we are different. And then she says, number two, whatever gender disparities are identified, it's still the group averages that are being considered. And there's still a lot of outliers. So you really have to be aware of that. And then she says, we can't and should not assume that psychological gender differences are innate. She goes into this whole explanation that just because something's ingrained does not mean that it's inevitable. Mm. And how much of the way our gender roles function in society are because we, you know, have a gender reveal party. And then from that moment on, everything's blue and yes. And And even the toy aisles and stores are separated out and all of that stuff. So she's like, even when we say, oh, I'm not going to raise my kid in a gendered way, society is very gendered and has specific ideas about the gender roles. And then she says today's teens have a different perspective on gender than the generations before them, and they act on this different Mm -hmm. perspective. So for those four reasons, she says, "Mm, we have to tread lightly with these broad sweeping generalizations about gender. But then she says there are two reasons to pay attention to the gender differences. And the first is that there are validated and measured observable differences in how boys and girls conduct themselves around emotions. So it's been studied. And then she says, by taking a thoughtful look at the differences, we might be able to learn more about where the ideas come from and how we can address them 
to aid our teens in their development of a full, healthy, emotional life. thought that was good. And then she talks about how gender roles start early, Mm -hmm. right? It's early on that kids begin to gather information about how people of their gender behave. And in one study, between preschool and the end of first grade, boys' expressions of sadness and anxiety dropped 50%. Oh, goodness. While girls held steady. Yeah. So. That's interesting. It is. And then the differences in aggression. Boys were observed to become physically aggressive, while girls are observed to become relationally aggressive. Mm. So. And I, a lot of this holds true with yep. what I see in my house and, yeah. and with the teenagers that I work with and all of that stuff. Um, and then girls in anger, girls are aware that they pay a price for being angry, so they act with more caution because of the social implications. Whereas as a society, we kind of expect boys to be more aggressive, so they express their anger more freely. Because of this expectation, boys sometimes act out in anger when they feel the need to express other emotions because it's acceptable. We've Mm -hmm. sent them the message as a society that it's okay for guys to be angry. So they're like, hey, I'm feeling sad right now. I'm just going to act out in anger because I know I can act out in anger. Whereas acting out in sadness. Yeah. I don't even know what that looks like sometimes. Yes. And less acceptable. And then parents report to her because she's a psychologist that while boys get mad, Girls will say things that cut deep. Isn't that that the truth? So true. And then um, she makes these two suggestions for when our teens are out of line talking to us. She says, You could say, I don't think that's how you meant for that to come out. Try again. Mm. Or, I don't speak to you that way. You may not speak to me that way. So I thought both of those were very clear, yeah. good little mini scripts. I think for you should put those on that. social. I will. The that's a good idea. will love that. Yes, that's a good idea. And then encouraging boys to talk about their feelings. She makes a couple of suggestions. The first is to do roses and thorns or mm. highs and lows. Highs and lows. Yeah, yeah, happy crappy, mountain and valley. There's a yeah. million different names for it. But um, sit down and have those discussions over family dinner. Like what went well today? What was hard today? All of that is practice in talking through the way things mm-hmm. made them feel. Um, the second thing she said was that emotional development can't be left to the moms. Research mm. shows that moms spend more time talking with their kids about feelings yeah. than dads. And that reinforces Perpetuates the gender it. norms yeah, that sure. we were talking about, right? So we need to m- normalize men talking about feelings to help young men yeah. do the same. Peers tend to reinforce the gender roles. If you think about what high school looks like Mm -hmm. and what middle school looks like now, that just gets reinforced. So the other thing she talks about is how girls sometimes talk too much about their feelings, (laughs) which can lead to rumination. And rumination is not great. You're ruminating on feelings over and over again. It increases the likelihood of developing depression and anxiety. So... Be on the lookout for that with our girls. And she says, teach the rule, friends don't let friends ruminate. So Mm -hmm. being ready and willing to help a friend talk through problems is great, except for two situations. If it keeps the problem alive, that they keep talking about it. Or if it's keeping the friend from being able to move on or seek professional help. And on that note, we've got to have conversations with our daughters and our sons about setting boundaries and realizing when they're in over their head helping a friend because they aren't professionals, right? And then with boys, we have the opposite problem (laughs) because they get called crybabies, right? Or wussies 
um, from a young age if they show too much emotion. So helping the boys open up, um, we have to listen for remarks about emotional expression. When we hear them calling other people, you know, a mama's boy or that guy's a wuss or whatever, point it out and talk about it. Just basically saying, hey, we don't do that. We don't make fun of people for showing their emotion and for being human because that's what it is, right? And she said finding the examples in movies and TV that you're watching mm. together yeah. is a perfect way to kind of bring it up. And then she says, point everything out and talk about it, but don't expect a super positive response. She says, no self-respecting adolescent will reply with, I'm so glad you brought this up. I really appreciate your suggestions. (laughs) And then she goes on to say, as the mother of two teens, I find that it works best for all involved if I receive their shrugs or eye rolls as a nonverbal way of saying, I heard you. (laughs) isn't that the truth i think of all the teens we've worked with over the course of time that we've worked together not once have we gotten a like overly excitable response to anything we've said so much for the suggestions yeah in this subsection she starts talking about harassment and it was breaking my heart because she talks about how it's starting earlier and earlier Mm -hmm. now yeah and she specifically addressed sexual harassment and she's working with a school where lewd things were happening and the admin talks to her about prevention that they want to do in middle school and high school and she's kind of like uh-uh you need yeah. to start in fifth grade yeah fifth grade is when we need to start having this conversation when middle school boys start to mistreat girls we blame their behavior on the sexist content in their media so in their mm-hmm. movies and tv that they're watching yeah. in their video games all that stuff but we disregard the most important thing And that is that middle school boys are suddenly seriously outmatched because the girls hit puberty two years earlier than boys. So this happens just as their sense of masculinity becomes a bigger deal to them, which is defined by size and speed and all of that stuff. So she talks about playground humiliation because middle school is the time when if a boy challenges a girl on the playground to a race, the girl might win. Yeah, Yeah. very likely to win because... They're developing in a different way and at a different speed. Now, she did say, like, if it's a sport thing, the boy may still win because they've got a lot of practice, right? right? Just to be aware that, like, the girls have a good chance during that. Yeah. Yeah, can hold their own during that middle school time. This growth spurt also has with it brain development. So they can feel unmatched in the classroom as well. So this creates the perfect storm because they're being beat by girls in a lot of different aspects of their lives and also they feel unable to express the feelings they have about it. This leads to some boys trying to manage the situation by taking the girls down a few pegs Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can move towards sexual harassment and stuff. Yeah. So she says while girls can be unkind the research shows that by middle school boys are the main antagonists. By sixth grade boys are most likely to tease, scare, etc. And by seventh grade, if not sooner, they begin to put a sexual spin on their teasing. So it makes sense because they're starting to come into some of that stuff and understand it better. And a lot of times adults will dismiss this as like misguided flirting. But the author says that is a huge mistake because sexual harassment is about power at every age. And we've got to call that out from the get go so that our boys understand that. And she said, research shows it's usually the least popular boys mistreating the most popular girls. Mm, That's interesting. Super interesting. 
And all around, the harassment situation is just bad. It's not good for boys to maintain self-esteem by belittling girls. And it's not good for girls to be on the receiving end of sexual harassment. So um, just be aware of that. And this contributes to the alarming and well-documented drop-off in self-esteem among adolescent girls. So it's just something to really be aware of. If you have boys or girls, I just think it's important And then she talks about teens and self-esteem and how do we help them feel good about themselves. And a lot of times she talks about how parents will go down the misguided path of accolades and positive reinforcement over things that weren't really a big deal and a lot of going on. And she says basically the two things that truly develop self-esteem are well-earned accomplishments and meaningful contributions. And so the two things we can help our teens with are being of service to others. It pulls their attention outward. Mm -hmm. It forces them to focus on something besides themselves, right? And it reminds them of everything they have to offer. Mm -hmm. So that whole service to others thing is huge. And then she says that we need to protect some time in their lives to pursue things that are meaningful outside of a grade or a college application. So she said she's seen adolescents become extremely successful in this endeavor of knitting or juggling, Mm -hmm. cooking. Self-directed skill development creates solid self-esteem. So something they decide they want to be good at, and they go and get good at it. So those two things I think are really important to remember. Be of service to others and find time to pursue skills that are self directed. She says to protect self-worth in middle school, we should work to help our children have reliable sources of self-esteem in place by late elementary school. Hmm. Putting that protective factor in place before you need before it. Before they get there. Yes. When it comes to the harassment, she says keep an eye on how your son defines masculinity and make it clear that real men have no need to tease, pressure, degrade, or demean others and have a conversation specifically about sexual harassment with boys and girls by sixth grade or sooner. And she gives this script if you don't know where to start. I hate to say this, but before too long, some kids may start giving other kids a hard time about their bodies or making them uncomfortable by saying sexual things. If it happens to you or a friend, let me know. That behavior is out of line and I'm here to help. And then if your child does come and talk to you, she says report it to the school and hold the school accountable for doing something about it. Mm-hmm. And then she talks about being beyond the traditional gender binary. So she kind of opens up about what's happening now in terms of the gender landscape. So um, she says if you have gender expansive teens in your home, you have two main jobs. The first is to protect their mental and physical health. Because there are a lot of complications that come along with being gender fluid in those two categories. And then she says, if your child needs professional help, you must find the right provider. So it takes a little bit of time. It's a little different than just finding the first counselor who has a time slot available. And then she says, your second job is to protect your relationship. Mm -hmm. Do your research, do your reading, understand what you're talking about, and don't dismiss them. Don't tell them you believe it's a phase, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Try to work through it in a more sensitive way. So closing out this chapter, she says basically that as parents, we need to push against the cultural expectations that seek to limit what our sons and daughters are supposed to do and be. I love that. I love that too. We'll leave it at that for today. And this is just a great book. The Emotional Lives of Teenagers by Lisa Damore. Have a great day. Remember, whatever you're facing in parenting, it won't always be this way.
What do you call a fish wearing a bow tie? What? So fish-ticated. 